Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Greetings and salutations for another edition of It's an Amazing Radio. This week, I'm your host, DJ Mark with a K. I am not here alone, though. Thank God. I am joined with Kid Presentable. Hey, how you doing? And, of course, Lavender Gooms. Howdy. All right, gents. Uh, so we got our fill this last week. Buffet-style Dana White serving up in Jacksonville. Two additional cards. In addition to the one we covered last week, that'd be the Gaethje-Tony Ferguson fight. Uh, we had a card on Wednesday. We saw Anthony Smith lock horns with Glover Teixeira. And then, of course, on Friday, uh, we were dealt a helping serving of Reem versus Walt Harris. Uh, so hopefully you guys caught most of that. I do, we, we talked to Mike before, and due to some conflict interest that I moved the podcast recording up to an hour, he did not get to see the main no, event for no, Wednesday. No, 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 that... That was completely my fault. Uh, my idiotic self. When you sent the message at about two o'clock my time, I saw five fifteen. I know my eyes saw five fifteen, but my brain registered six fifteen, which is nine fifteen my time. So I'm like, okay, so you want to do fifteen minutes earlier? Okay, sure. I mean, whatever. And I thought, all right, I'll have like an hour to like refresh my my brain on a lot of these fights because I'm an old man and I go to sleep at like 1030 now. So I barely remember any of these. That's what I'm saying. No one blames you. Like based on what time you had to go to bed on a Saturday night, I really wasn't expecting you to make it to (laughs) Wednesday night that late. Uh, So no, we understand. And let's also remember that Wednesday night card started at, I think it was at 10 and it was six fights. Fuck you. It was six fights, and uh, on fights that dragged to like kind of uneventful decisions, they still interviewed him. They're like, we got to talk to you. We're not going to cut anything short. Nothing's preempting us. NASCAR's not coming on after this. Yeah, I, I don't understand the uh, fight night cards that there's no real commercial. Well, you know what? I think overseas they have commercial obligations. But like, I'm just like, just get to the next fight. Like, What are we doing here? Um, yeah, it could be a little drawn out. And of course, Mike has to deal with the East Coast time. So we did cut into some of your research, but me and Steph are just as ignorant because we watched some of these fights, but it's been a couple <laughs> days removed. Uh, we are all coming off work, so we're all a little hazy brained, uh, but we're going to we're going to power through. You know, we, we don't have our leader here, so we're a little understaffed quality of the audio probably going to be shit poor, but we're doing it. So we might as well start Wednesday night main event. Uh, we saw Glover Teixeira fight Anthony Smith. I think, I don't know if any of you guys have the, the website pulled up. I think we all picked Anthony Smith on this one. Did anyone go with Glover? Do you recall? Anthony Smith. I think we uh, we went with younger guy, kind of necessary. Um, but a lot of the bad in Anthony Smith kind of came out in this fight. Um, you know, Bob and I were talking on the night of watching this fight, and it's like a lot of divisions have this guy, right? The guy in welterweight, the guy in middleweight. They kind of are career journeymen, but they get on this hot run, like a Matt Brown, who we'll talk about, who fought. You know, they get on this hot streak, and like maybe they're putting it all together, but at some point, for all those guys, it came crashing down eventually. Like, you know, they they were the journeymen who kind of peaked, um, and it wasn't quite enough to take it all the way to the top. You can't win that title for that one glorious run night, you know, um, Glover handled him. Uh, this was not a close fight. And if anything, it's the controversy kind of that came after 
Um, but I'll pass that on to Mark. Yeah, I, I think what we'll kind of notice in both of these main events, while the outcomes were a little bit different, uh, I think in both cases we saw kind of the younger or maybe more spry fighter making early mistakes, mostly with the gas tank, that paid dividends in for their opponents uh, later on in the fight. And I think that's exactly what happened with Anthony Smith here, if you recall, Steph. And, and Mike, I'm going to paint you a picture, so maybe you don't even have to waste you know, 20 minutes watching this fight, although I think it is worth watching the destruction. Uh, but Anthony Smith looked really good in that first round and even halfway through the second uh, obviously had a lot of energy and you could tell because he wasn't throwing feints as much as he was pumping out the jab. So he would throw basically six half jabs really fast and then throw a jab instead of fainting where you just kind of like ghost the guy to do it. He's kind of doing it half heartedly, which I think just really ate out a lot of his energy. Um, DC on the commentary pointed out pretty quickly that the corner was kind of just nonstop instructions for the whole fight. It was, there was constant feed, feedback going into Anthony Smith on what he should be doing at the moment. Um, and DC correlated that to maybe, you know, just overwhelming their fighter with a lot of instructions and just telling him to constantly be doing stuff. And I think Anthony Smith, you know, as a fighter, you're kind of trained to listen to your coaches, take their advice. And, you know, we see the be some of the best fighters, much like we were talking, talking last week with uh, Justin Gaethje and Trevor Whitman, you know, they follow their corner's instruction. And I think that's what Anthony Smith was doing. Uh, it was just way too much. Uh, it was too much instruction. There wasn't a solid game plan. And we saw going into like halfway through the second, uh, the second round into the third, fourth, and then ultimately fifth rounds. And I think that his tank was gone and Glover was able to just take over. Um, and we really saw Glover take over in those later rounds and just put a massive beating on Anthony Smith. And a lot of the talk um, coming out of this is what Stefan alluded to earlier. Um, a lot of pressure has been put on the corner now for not stopping the fight, particularly between the fourth and fifth rounds. And I'll just give my two cents before I, I pass it back over to you, Steph. But uh, my where I thought, I mean, obviously, we we know a lot about Anthony Smith at this point because he did fight for the title. We got a lot of video documentations about, you know, how tough he is, you know, Lionheart, how he's kind of a guy that's kind of bred himself to be a non-quitter. And obviously, I think a lot of that discussion gets played in the corner. I'm sure they had lots of conversations before this fight about, I don't want you to stop the fight. I want to go out on my shield. Even with those conversations happening, I think the corner should have stopped it between fourth and fifth round, if those conversations did happen. And mostly my critique there is between the fourth and fifth round, it's obvious to everyone, Anthony Smith was not going to win this fight. He had nothing left in the tank to pull out a miraculous now, win. Mm -hmm. if, if I may ask, uh, Mark, Please. was it obvious that he wasn't going to win the fight? All right, that seems self-explanatory. Was it obvious he was, wasn't going to win the fight? And was it also, this guy has taken a ton of damage. It's looking dangerous. That's, that's a good point to bring up. That's exactly what I'm going to allude to, Mike, because... His corner is giving him all these instructions going into the fifth round. They're basically telling him you have to sell out. Like you have to give it your all now to to win this fight. You have to finish it. You have to win it in, in that kind of fashion to be victorious in this fight. The only thing Anthony Smith said in between those rounds, this is what spurred me to, to make the corner stop the fight. When he sat on the stool, the first thing he said to his coach was, I think my teeth are falling out. And then they're telling him, sell out. You have to go for broke. You have to finish it. And there was no other response for Anthony Smith. There was no like, okay, I got it. You know, I have to, I understand what you're telling me. There's no more pussyfooting around. I got to get in there and, and get the fight done. But it's like literally the only thing the dude said was like, my teeth are falling out of my skull. And maybe did, that's uh, the key. Did the corner even ask, which teeth? 
No, they they and and a lot of times we I've seen this in corners too, where the, where the fighter comes back and they they talk about some injury they sustained, and very rarely do the corners really kind of like get into that, right? They're gonna like your hands broken, like how broken is it? Does it hurt when I do this, that, or the other? I think it is part of the corner's job to when they have injuries like this or they're sustaining significant damage is to try to take their mind off of that. And sometimes telling them they have to sell out or something is a way to do that at this point with the accumulation of damage and your fighter basically saying, yo, not only is my face a big pile of meat, but the little chicklets in my skull are also falling out. And I was like, you know what? We're okay. Maybe you want to have a smile. Maybe you don't want in a later interview to get dogged by your opponent like Quentin Jackson did it with Dan Henderson telling him to pull his teeth out. Um, but that was my two cents. Steph, when you were watching the fight, did you feel that sense in between the fourth and fifth or maybe between the third and the fourth that this should be stopped? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, like I understand the going out on the shield thing, but a lot of the commentators said it too. Um what is the corner there for if not to protect their guy? Um, it was bad. The teeth thing, I think I read after the fact, in between those rounds, the uh, ref handed the teeth that spilled out. Yeah, I didn't corner. even notice that. I think I think you uh, or Bobby even said, I think at one point Glover kind of told Anthony, like, hey, go collect your teeth for a second. I won't punch yeah. you in the face. And then continue. It was so badass. <laughs> um, like, yeah, it's just, it was pretty brutal. Um, I think another kind of story that came out, and you could hear it, and... Like, another reason that uh, the corner could have stopped it. Uh, Herzog, the referee, he's normally pretty good. There's a couple times he could have stopped it as well. Um, I believe at one point there was an exchange in the fourth round where uh, Glover was just in full mount, kind of pounding away. He wasn't quite putting him out. And I think he was audibly quoted as saying, like, I'm sorry, Anthony. It's just part of the job. And I think Anthony even replied a dejected, I know, it is what it is. (laughs) Like, as he's taking a beating. It's like, what I've learned from these silent crowds you can hear all these people like is that maybe a sign for the referee to be like okay yeah he's just accepted this ass kicking he's taking like yeah a lot of people could have stopped the fight could have been stopped by the ref you know thank god like glover put it away at the end but both both sides especially the corner is just what are you guys doing there was nothing left from your guy like you know i i can understand you know before all of this uh, corona madness started um, back in late February when it was the Tyson Fury uh, Deontay Wilder fight I think we all agree there that the corner did the right thing with throwing in the towel but you can almost understand why a, f- a-, a cornerman in like let's say a Deontay Wilder's position would be hesitant to throw in the towel in that case because if that type of cash cow is telling you yo don't throw in the towel for anything or you're going to get fired on mine, maybe a little selfishly, I can understand that. But yo, Anthony Smith, all right, I understand the B, the the UFC is big time, but you ain't Deontay Wilder. Like, if you're the corner for Anthony Smith, you'd be like, all right, dude, I'm gonna throw in the towel. Like, this is like thirty and thirty money or forty and forty money. Like, let's ha- let's have you live so you could get another one of these down the road because you still got to pay, you know, your mortgage or some shit. Yeah, I I think Mike, that's a great point. There there are times where it it kind of makes sense, right? When the stakes are so high, maybe it's worth rolling those dice. Um, the stakes weren't that high, right? There's no title on the line here. Um, you have to kind of, as a corner, it's also your investment, right? Like, this guy is your cash cow. You're going to be training him and hopefully, you know, riding on the curtails for a while, and that's going to be making bank. And you make a mistake, like, letting him get 
too much punishment, you know, that's going to sustain, you know, his longevity. Your client is lo- longevity has been cut short. Um, and I think what is kind of in Stefan, what you're saying earlier with the ref, I think what was kind of tough. I don't think it gives him an out at all is that there wasn't a lot of moments with Glover where he like landed that big shot, right? Like where he landed that thing that crumpled Anthony and he just needed to follow up. It was a lot of just sustained beating, which is worse, right? Because it's, I think it's really hard, and we, we'll, we'll talk about this in the, in the other main event, when a fighter is not fighting back, not intelligently, but they're, like, just surviving. That's what Anthony Smith was doing. He was doing enough to survive. He's covering up. He's getting. He's eating shots. The shots aren't so big that he's, like, in astronomical danger, but it's just, like, when it's three and a half rounds of just, like, constant beatdown, you just got to be like, it's, it's enough. It's just me as the ref. I've seen this guy take enough, you know, and you have to take that away from the corner sometime. But, you know, that's what happened. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, Anthony Smith lost a hard fight. I think it was a lot of just bad strategy. I think he has the skill set to to beat Glover, but you have to give your hat off to Glover. He came in shape. He weathered the storm and he pulled the veteran move and, and waited till the late rounds to, to pull it off. So, uh, you know, my hat's off to both of them. Uh hopefully this didn't take too much off of anthony smith's career i think he still has a lot of growth in him still and i'd like to see him become more than what he is in my head right because i think we talked about early earlier Stefan specifically um he, he he really was a journeyman at uh, middleweight right for a long time he was just someone that was not on the radar he moved to heavyweight got a bunch of big wins got that title shot he's he's a name now um and he needs to beat guys like glover to continue to be a, a name i think this was a misstep for him great performance by glover we'll see where they shake out do you guys have any it's tough in this division is there any fights that you guys that makes sense to you guys after this one for either of these combatants that they haven't like already fight or it seems quasi interesting to you at all that's probably well, the problem with glover right is he's on a four fight been around. streak which should mean something in this division but it's like we know you're like jones was an easy fight against glover glover yeah. was one of the guys that he made it look easy so it's like you kind of have that taint forever in your oh, head yeah. that like yeah no matter how many you win you're not worthy of fighting for the title like that's just kind of how you feel about glover and it's unfortunate because he still clearly has much more mileage than we want to give him credit for but yeah i don't really know what to do with him yeah maybe like very similar to uh very similar to joe b when um when mighty mouse was champion yeah there's definitely contenders that i mean i guess curtis blades have they fought like blades is heavyweight i think oh hey heavyweight yeah okay sorry who's the one who wants jones who's kind of like blades but a worse version uh, oh, um, Beeson, Beeson. Yes. There it is. Sorry, I got him a little mixed up. I'm like, he's a smaller, worse striker, worse wrestler, but all kind of similar guy. I don't, I don't think that's a bad, uh, that's a bad suggestion because, uh, well, as you say, Glover's ancient, but he's coming off four wins, and Corey Anderson is, I think, fifth or sixth in the in the UFC rankings, and if I'm right, he's coming off of a loss, so uh, that could be a good matchup for uh, for for Glover. Maybe try to get himself into the top five. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and, and I think what, and I think there's also talk. I think he even Glover mentioned after the fight, Jan Blotowitz is kind of out there in there. Um, I, I think it is tough for Glover, right? Because it's it is just that hurdle of the, the mountain of John Jones and anyone that has already fought in John and didn't particularly do well. I think it's gonna it's a hard campaign, even if you're winning a bunch of fights, to be like, yeah, let's roll this one back, especially with such a dominant loss from him last time. Um, Anthony Smith is also kind of a newcomer. I think there's a, there's a there's kind of a new batch of fresh blood at 205 that he kind of needs to 
sort himself out in uh and we'll see where those lie um i did think the co-main event was kind of interesting mike i don't know did you get to see any of this did you get to stay up late enough on wednesday uh to see ben rothroll and osp throw down at all i believe i fell asleep right at the end of the alexander hernandez fight i was gonna say mike if you made it this fight this fight would have put you to sleep <laughs> if you made it to this one <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I won't get too into it, but I thought Ben looked pretty good. I thought OSP at heavyweight, what I did like, he looked good for heavyweight. He, he's a big guy. You know, at 205, he definitely had to cut weight and he looked ripped. But, you know, you don't really know how these guys are going to look at uh, heavyweight. But I think he weighed in around like 240 something. He looked he looked physically big enough to compete in this division. I don't think and I think where a lot of us put our money on Ben was this dude's just really, really big for the division. He has to cut to get to 265. Um, and I think that played into this fight a lot. I think Ben just kind of bullied him around a lot and used that weight very strategically to, to get the nod here. Do you have anything to add, Steph? I mean, did you see anything in this fight that was particularly interesting to you? I mean, we, I could just leave it at you because you're kind of doing the glass uh, half empty or a glass half uh, full take. I'm doing the glass half empty. Um, it was just kind of disappointing for both of them because... OSP, his problems are at light heavyweight are his problems at heavyweight. His fight IQ is really low. He doesn't really come in with a great game plan. He's still just kind of getting by on, like, athleticism, if that makes sense. Like, the technique has never really... It's never come together the big picture for that guy. Like, he's a great facility, but he just doesn't have the great it, plan of attack. Yeah. It, Meanwhile, Big Ben, you kind of wish he could do more to, like, for being so much bigger. It was still a split decision. Like, he still really had to just hug away the last kind of round to just secure the win. And so you kind of got him just scraping by with, I don't know where OSP goes. Like from So here. I, I read in some of the pre-fight that Ben was, I guess, kind of talking shit about OSP, where he had heard some comments from OSP saying that uh, he had want, he had uh, staked out Ben Rothwell as his opponent when he eventually got up to, to heavyweight about a year ago. And that he thought he would have uh, the speed advantage against uh, Ben Rothwell. And Ben Rothwell said apparently in the interview that, you know, like he's going to be surprised that, you know, how much speed Ben Rothwell actually has. How did, uh, how did he fare in that department against the OSP? Did a OSP have a big uh, athlete- athleticism advantage? I think both points are, are kind of correct in some sense. I mean, I, I do agree that OSP is the more explosive athletic guy, right? Like, and I think I made the joke last week. Like, you know, if these guys are doing sprints, I'm picking OSP every day of the week. But Ben is deceptively fast, you know? And I think there there are some guys in the heavyweight division that are really big. I mean, this dude carries his weight around, not in the ways you'd want it to, right? He's got a big belly. He's carrying a lot of extra fat on him. But he's also just a big, thick guy. But he can move fast. And what he does, how he moves fast is he has a good dart in, and he has pretty fast hands. And that's what we did see here is he would get in the pocket real quick, and he would throw a rear uppercut uh, right straight right after it. He was able to score with those punches. Um, and I, honestly, I... I Hats off to Steph. I think you did a really good job analysis, anal- doing analysis on both of these guys. Because I agree. OSP seems like the fighter who never has a game plan. Right? He just goes in there and the coaches are like, just out-athletic out him. Throw more kicks and punches and shoot shots and run, this, and, you know, run the line. And this guy will get tired and you'll beat him. And Ben's not that. Ben definitely had a game plan of let's hug this dude against the cage and make him fucking tired. And then let's see what we can do later on. Um, didn't make for the most impressive fight but you know it's another notch on ben rothwell's uh win list i think it it's really easy to discredit him he needs big wins i don't think osp's that big win he really needs because he, he 
at a point he did have a lot of those big wins and he was in title contention, but he never really got to the dance. He's strung a couple along here, but they've all been, we all talked about the Stefan Struve fight last week. They just haven't been super impressive performances. And this is another one of those. Um, where they go from here, I don't know. There, there, there's a lot of things happening at heavyweight, but I wouldn't be too upset to see Ben and Overeem throw down again because uh, that was one I was like, I think Reem should be able to get this guy. But And that was a big win for Ben, and they, they're both coming off wins here. Um, I think OSP, it, it, it's just like Stefan said, like his problems here are the same as light heavyweight. I don't think he's going to have more success here than he did at light heavyweight. I think he's going to be that same journeyman where he's going to be able to string along a couple wins against less notable fighters. But when he runs up against the cream of the crop, when he's fighting the Nuganos of the world, I think he's going to fumble. Um, and, you know, maybe heavyweight makes more sense because you have to cut the weight. You know, if he feels more comfortable there and he can have a little more longevity in his career, you know, good for him. We'll probably speed through the rest of these fights, even though finally Mike has saw some of these. So uh, I hate to just speed through all the stuff we actually saw. But we did see... Alex Hernandez, who kind of exploded on the UFC scene uh, when he knocked out Darush all those uh, years ago against uh, Drew Dober, who I think has been a guy that's definitely been flying under the radar. I know he has for me. Um, I think personally, Alexander really kind of that big win over Darush just put him on the map instantaneously. And his name has always been one that I've been looking out for. And since being in the UFC, it hasn't really gone super great for him. He has definitely lost some of his bigger fights. I think this was a really tough matchup for him, but definitely not like the most high profile name he's fought in. And he still came up short against uh, Drew Dober, who, like I said, was flying under the radar. I think I took a lot notice in this fight. Definitely got me more familiar with him. And also the little tidbit they threw in that like, oh yeah, this is the main training partner for Gaethje kind of puts things in perspective and light and kind of puts him in a higher pedestal than I had before. But Mike, you saw some of this fight. How do you think it was faring out? Were you impressed with what you saw from Drew or Alex in this one? No, yeah, I was definitely impressed by what I saw in in, in Drew. I mean, when it comes to Alex, you know, um, he's lost to Donald Cerrone at least, and I think in his last four or five fights, I think he lost to Donald Cerrone. Uh, it wasn't about that a year long ago, ago. something like that, yeah. Um, and he's beaten, you know, what was it? Uh, yeah, Dariush and uh, and Trinaldo. So he's been in some pretty good competition so far. Um, I'm not too discouraged by him getting knocked out by Drew Dober. Drew Dober's a pretty good fighter. Um, and yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a good. It was a good match up until he got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, it was definitely an exciting one. A good notch for Drew. I hopefully this kind of, at least in my head, if nothing else. He got some points with me. Um, and next time he has a fight, I'm definitely putting him in the mindset of like, this is someone that is definitely going to be a contender that need that you need to watch out for. And depending on the matchup would not be a bad pick. Um, I really liked this next fight. We had Ricky Simone and Ray Borg uh, in the bantamweight division. They finally give Ray the boot. You can only miss weight five times. And they're like, yo, dude, this thing's this division's dead anyways. Why don't you move up? Um, so he, I, I don't know if this was his first weight at bantamweight or not. Um, Ricky Sim, uh, Simone looked a lot bigger than him. Um, and what I was really impressed with with Ray Borg is his stand-up is really good. He is really tight and crisp. Uh, Ricky Simone is just like all over this kid, though. Uh, I think when he couldn't stand with him, dude just shot doubles and completed them. It was a real, real masterclass in wrestling. He couldn't keep Ray Borg down for shit, really. Um, but it's one of those things. I remember in amateur wrestling... When you were really good at takedowns, 
you can beat the guys with points because they get a point for getting up, but you get two for taking them down. So I was like, look at this. this is going to be a long, hard road, but I'm just going to take your ass down all night and win that way. And that's kind of what Ricky did. I thought it looked really good. Uh, looked really impressive. A big, strong guy at bantamweight. Um, again, kind of easy to look big and strong into Ray Borg coming up in, uh, up from a weight class. He seems a little small for the weight class, but look at, he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it done on the scale. So what are you going to do? Um, Steph, did you have any, uh, Mike, did you have a takeaway on this one? My takeaway is this, is that if there is ever a clarion call for Ray Borg to learn how to diet so that he can actually successfully get down to 125, this is the fight. Yeah, I think it's a big learning curve for him. I, and I don't know, maybe that maybe it will be like, okay, I can't compete at this weight class. I need to move down. Or maybe he needs to just put on a lot of muscle and figure it out. Um, Steph, did you have any big takeaways from this fight? Did you enjoy this one? Now? Um, I mean, this one, admittedly, this one, I was a little distracted during this one. Didn't hold my attention super well, but, you know, Borg is a name. Um, whether he deservedly, I mean, he really proved or not. He was kind of hovering around title contention, so um, it's a big uh, win for a guy. who I didn't, I didn't really know uh, Simone coming into this fight very well, so um, yeah. I'll remember that he beat Ray Borg. Yeah, same. You know, it, it, it's still he Ray Bork still has a name. He fought for a title um, and he looked good in this fight. So it's not like we didn't just see him smoked and Ricky Simone is just like this awesome guy. But, look, you know, it was it was a good fight. Ricky got it done. Uh, this next fight, I definitely kind of tuned out of uh, Andre. Andre Orlovsky got the win over Linz um, and kind of Andre Orlovsky fashion. Right. We didn't see a lot of big, heavy strikes land for Andre, but we saw him control the fight. Um, we saw him use superior striking to kind of dictate the space um, and ultimately get the win here. I I don't really know what you do with Andre anymore. These type of performances, I think, you know, are kind of the best you're going to get out of him, if not for a sudden knockout. And you'd hate for him just to get demolished, right? I mean, he's he's had so much wear and tear on him. So, um, Steph, I mean, what did, what did you think of this one? Uh, give him OSP? I don't know. Oh, you why know not? what? I don't yeah, hate that. Yeah, give him OSP. <laughs> I don't hate that for someone who won and the other guy that lost. OSP, maybe not the, the worst matchup in the world. Um, you know, hey. I'm coming for Joe Silva's job. <laughs> uh, have to give props to Andre, though. I mean, dude, I think he's pushing 40. I'm not sure, but he's definitely up there. If not in actual years, just fight mileage. And, you know, just to get any wins in the UFC, you know, especially at this level, you, you have to. He's. Wait, oh, 41. Okay. My God, I didn't know for a second if you're saying he was 50 or what. Everything was backwards. But yeah, so 41's definitely, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time left. I don't think the opponents he's fighting should be much more higher skill cap than what he saw here. But ultimately, just didn't lead to a very exciting fight. Um, I did enjoy the next fight. Uh, Michael Johnson and uh, Tiago Morris. Moises or something? Moises. Moises. Uh, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you, Steph. I was kind of impressed with Johnson had the right strategy in the first round, was implementing it correctly, and we saw how quickly that all goes to shit when he couldn't do that. Uh, Michael, I mean, Michael Johnson is a one round wonder. If you, he is a top ten talent in the first round. <laughs> um, he, but then he gasses, but then his his fight IQ, he gets hit uh, with the jaw. It, it's a heel hook, man. That's all I really got to say about this fight. You know, go back and watch this if you didn't see this one. The heel hook is pretty uncommon. That's one of those. That's one of those subs that when people attempt it, I'm like, okay, you're now you're just wasting our time. You don't know how to do that. There's only three people in the world who know how to do this thing. So uh, it's kind of like the MMA unicorn to see the heel hook. So um, 
I didn't know who Tiago was going into this. There's a million Tiagos, but you're going to tell me he's the one who got the heel hook. And that's, again, these are the things that you want from a fighter. Give me something to remember you by. And um, yeah, definitely yeah. interested to see that. It really was a shame because Michael Johnson was doing really well in that first round. He was he was sprawling like a champ out there, and he was doing a good job in the second round. And I don't think this is a normal Michael Johnson fight where he just does something idiotic and he gassed. He just flat out just got caught. Like It was one scramble where he doesn't stop to take down, and they're on the floor scrambling, and boom, he just gets caught in the heel hook. I felt bad for him. I mean, I I think it says a lot about uh, Tiago, where, you know, going into this fight, probably like uh, just like Steph and probably just like Mike, didn't know anything about this guy, but all the commentators are like, oh yeah, Michael Johnson does not want to go to the ground with this guy at all. He will get smoked. And the first round, that's exactly what he avoided. He stood up on the feet. He was beating him on the feet, like, you know, Easily, easily just dominated that first round. And the second round, Tiago just ran at him and shot. And uh, Johnson was able to sprawl, but he got a single leg. And he was like, you know what? Fuck the takedown. I'll pull guard and go for a heel hook. Um, and, and Steph, you're right. You know, as someone who really likes leg locks, um, being a big Pancrase fan, um, those techniques have ultimately, in, in this day and age, have been rendered to create scrambles, more or less. We see a lot of guys... Go for those so that the other opponent has to try to spin out of it. And when they're spinning out, they try to scramble and get out of bottom position or what have you. There are very few guys that will really go for that submission and get it and win a fight off of it. And a lot of guys that even go for it, it's a real risk-reward submission where you're basically putting two hands on one guy's foot. And that other dude has two arms where he's just like, oh, you're going to touch my feet while I'll punch you in the face. Um, but yeah, to get it as, as quickly as he did, just to show how dangerous he was. And I thought the ending was kind of funny where he gets the heel hook pretty quickly. Johnson kind of gives like a tap tap, like, you got me, fuck. And then there's the referee didn't see it. So the guy just keeps cranking. He's like, fucker, I tapped. I'm done. Let go. And it looked like he hurt his ankle. Because I mean, uh, leg locks are, uh, we talked about it, you know, on the podcast a couple times. They're fucking serious business. Because a lot of times, by the time the nerve endings go up to your brain to say like, oh yeah, your ligaments ripped to shit. Your ligament, your ligaments already ripped to shit. So uh, it can be really dangerous. And especially with a guy like Michael Johnson, I'm sure he's aware of that. I'm sure once he felt the the ripping and tearing, he's like, I lost this one. You know, go what back to the, the drawing uh... board. What was the name of the Brazilian dude that used to just like take people's knees home? Was that Paul Harris? Yeah, Kusamar. Yeah, yeah, Paul Harris. Yeah, there are just some guys that are just fucking really, really dangerous, and I think this guy joins that class. We're gonna run through the rest of the prelims real quick. We do have one more card to go through, but uh, we have to throw a little shine on Eubanks getting that win over uh, Sarah Morais, which we're all a big fan of, but you know gusto and you know to be fair to sarah we've been really critical of her in her last fight it does look like she's turning a bit of a corner i think eubanks was gonna be a really tough out for her um and it proved to be so she just really didn't have a lot for her um this next fight was probably my favorite fight of the night uh omar Moraes versus gabriel benitez did you guys see this one it was early on the prelims um it was a great kickboxing match um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then Gabriel, is, who ultimately lost this fight, is a fucking G. Because these dudes were just throwing shins at each other. And I think it was like halfway through the second round, his shin starts to bleed. And I was like, alright, probably going to stop throwing those uh, kicks as much. Dude did not stop throwing kicks. And they have a great picture after the fight. It literally looked like someone shot his his shin. Because you could, not only do you see, you know when they have the deep cut, you see the tissue, you see like the meat. Sometimes you see a little bone. Very rarely do you see the bone 
cracked and spattered and you see inside the bone and you see the marrow and it's just like dude that's gangster because i mean i've seen a lot of kick i mean look at when you're doing professional kickboxing matches there's a lot of bloody shins when you're checking kicks on the shins or when you're throwing kicks and they're getting blocked on the forearm or the elbow there's a high percentage and in look at feel your shin bow there's usually very little meat where the the actual bone is there's a very thin layer of skin so you know we see bloody shins um, and I was even thinking like, oh, this dude's a G. Like he's not letting a little blood stop him. But when I saw his bone crack, I was like, oh, I would have fucking stopped throwing leg kicks. Like this dude's a lot tougher than I was. Um, that was a really great fight. Uh, Brian Kellender got a nice knockout win. And we also saw Chase uh, Sherman come back to the heavyweight division. And he had a really nice performance with a TKO uh, early in the second round. So that was Wednesday's fights. Personally, given the circumstances, kind of enjoyed this Wednesday card much more so than the other Wednesday's cards we had previously where, you know, I'm literally going driving to and from work. By the time I get home, the main cards already started. Uh, Given the circumstances, it was nice to be able to watch most of these fights while they were happening. Um, So that was cool. But Wednesday's cards are always weird. We kind of got back into more of a normal situation for our viewing schedules for ufc fights this saturday like i mentioned previously we saw the ream lock horns with walt harris um mike and steph did you guys get to see most of the main card on this one at least the main event yes i did at least so mike why don't you give us the breakdown what what do we see with ream and walt in this one well we saw literally both sides of the argument for why we thought ream was either gonna win or lose in this fight uh the first the first round starts and overeem as he's been i think in his last few fights um he's been a lot more tentative i think waiting for the counter shot and walt harris comes out like a like a oh sorry he comes out like a bat out of hell and uh, he comes out with a lot of energy and he's actually able to connect really solidly with overeem um there was a certain point where i think all of us thought all right overeem is about to turtle up and do what overeem normally does when he gets hit with a stiff shot and he almost did do that um it looked like uh Tandem Mergliata was gonna stop the fight at a certain point because Overeem was taking a lot of damage, but somehow he was actually able to get out of it and get out of the first round. And then in the second round, Overeem was able to shake the cobwebs out and was actually able to to tag Walt Harris and knock him down to the ground. And then from there, it was basically just a stream of maybe about a minute to a minute and a half of Overeem being on top of Walt Harris, just raining down, not exactly 100% um, hammer fist, but maybe about 60, 65% on each of the shots. And after a while, you know, Walt Harris was basically just flattened out with Overeem on top of him, and uh, it was called a TKO. Yeah, I mean, mostly when I was kind of watching this fight, you know, as much of a big Overeem fan as I am, uh, this really just seemed like a fight Walt kind of, um, you know, he defeated himself in this one. Uh, he really went hard. I mean, and he was doing, like you said, Mike, in the beginning, it's not a bad strategy to go really hard and fast at Reem because like you mentioned, when he gets overwhelmed, he, he literally does that. He gets overwhelmed and he turtles up and it kind of gives that fighter opportunities to find holes to finish the fight. One thing Reem did that, <laughs> you know, it, it I don't want to praise this too much, but it was kind of a smart move, even though it's it, for most fighters would probably be a very bad move. When he got hurt, he went to the floor, <laughs> which is a better evolution of his game 
Then when he gets hurt, he just covers up and he waits for the, the big kaboom to come and to, to, for him to go limp. So he went down to the ground and he did a better job defending himself there. I mean, not much better because like you said, Mike, there was definitely a point where he dropped Overeem. He's flurrying on him and Overeem, he has his hands up. He's trying to defend himself, but he's just eating a lot of unanswered shots. And there was definitely, I was like, okay, this is about to be over. Um, but like you said, Reem thought through. He he basically grabbed a couple ankles, picked the dude, got on top, um, and you could tell at that point in the first round, like Walt was sucking wind hard. He was kind of trapped. Overeem had his back in that first round, um, and then going into the second, they both looked exhausted. Um, you know, Reem obviously didn't have to exert as much energy, but obviously the punishment took a lot out of him, um, and he was just able to land some good shots standing, and then yeah, ultimately got caught. Um, Steph, what did you make, not just of the fight, but maybe, uh, I, I think a lot of this fight, you have to talk about the lead up, about the history with Walt, and uh, he, we talked about before, technically his stepdaughter, I thought it was a little weird in the broadcast, they always referred to themselves as father and daughter, and I understand, like, why muddle the waters with stepfather and stepsister, I I do feel like it's somewhat important to know if it's a biological because I, I I understand both. This is such a weird thing to start getting nitpicky at. I understand both arguments, right? Like why say step daughter and father, because it kind of dilutes like, Oh, they weren't that close. Maybe this relationship isn't as meaningful. I think that's bullshit. Honestly, I think you can say stepdaughter and stepfather and you just have a thing saying like, and Walter says like, she was my daughter as far as I'm concerned. Like, look, she's not my blood, but I raised her. And I don't know what that, I don't know what that connection was. And they never really explained like, cause I don't know if he's, I think they're, I think he's married to his mom. Like how long they've been married. Did, did he really raise, um, his stepdaughter? And they had, I mean, it seemed like they had that connection and I'm not anyone to question. I just thought it was a little weird to omit that fact, especially cause having heard the story so long, I was like, I always, wait, he was her stepfather, right? Not that it's important, but now I'm just like, did I not hear right? It all obviously was. It's obviously a really difficult task for, you know, Walt was just up against the wall, um, you know, mentally with all the things he was combating, not just, you know, having to get ready for a fight camp during a pandemic, which in and of itself and dealing with all the other hurdles, just getting to this event, all the rescheduling that has gone on. It's just been so much shit back and forth. Um, honestly, for me and, and stuff, I do want to get your thoughts on this. I'm I'm almost glad this fight's over, right? I think obviously the memory of his daughter is always going to be with him in fights. I'm sure he's going to bring it up when he wins that, you know, he's always going to be fighting for her. This is something that's going to leave a mark on him for a long time. At least going forward, I don't think a lot of the promotion and marketing is going to be so heavily steeped in this horrible, tragic event. And hopefully Walt can get some closure having finished this fight. Obviously, it didn't go the way he wanted, but he showed some, some you know, he had Wolverine in trouble there. He was very close to victory. Just uh, to answer, uh, well, try to answer one of your questions before. He's at least been married to um, his, uh, Anaya Blanchard is the name of his uh, stepdaughter. He's been married to Anaya Blanchard's uh, mother long enough that they have four children. Oh, okay. And, and like these things, these dynamics, I just I never got on the broadcast, right? I didn't know they had other kids together. For for me, like as far as I know, like Walt could have been dating her mom a couple years ago or something. You know, it, obviously the the footage, the pre-fight footage, definitely made it seem like oh they're much closer than that type of relationship. And even if it was just something, I, I'm dating the mom for a couple years. We're really you know me and the mom are really close, and you know I. I even that's hard enough, you know, a, a death of a, of a young woman is just tragic. And yeah. 
yeah, obviously, sure. and I'm not trying to disparage the closest. I saw it was a weird thing. Um, but Steph, leading up to the fight, obviously we talked about you know the, the lead up a good bit here. How did you feel going into it? What did you feel watching the fight, and ultimately how it ended? Um, I think you made a good point. Of uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that I'm kind of glad we're past this. Um, it I, I said this before in the lead up. The lead up, it's tough, right? You kind of have to tell the story with Walt Harris, especially this happened when this fight was booked. Um, this fight got postponed due to, you know, the global situation, but also because Walt had to step away. Um, he had, uh, that's right. what led to Rosenstrike kind of coming in on short notice. Um, Correct, and man. you can't, you can't blame him. Um, you know, to, uh, it, it felt a little exploitive though. Like just the UFC promos, the way there's something about the way the packages were just cut and edited. Um, uh, I didn't like, um, but one thing I did see, which I didn't mind, was I did see the full uh, ESPN E60 sit-down interview with him, oh, nice. which wasn't the commercial. Um, and kind of what you're saying, you know, about whether it's a step relationship or biological, what you could 100% tell from the interview was they were close. Yeah. And that's what mattered. And it's just right. like how many times he broke down just talking about any part of it. Um you could you could really just tell how close that bond was, um, so it's 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 horrible, right? Um, you know, uh, not to 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 measure, and not, I don't mean to bring this up to measure death, but um, you know, with Kobe passing recently with his daughter on the helicopter, there were just a lot of people talking about their relationships to their daughters, their relationships to their sisters. It was just, you know, um, it had been in the national consciousness to kind of value these familial relationships and bonds we have. Um, and then you hear something so horrible happens. Um, you start seeing all the footage of it. Like I get it. You can't not tell the story. It was horrifying. And you hope that there's some type of silver lining that comes from this, that we're more aware of things that people learn to be more aware of things. So that doesn't happen again, but um, you wish there was a happy ending. Um, there just wasn't, I think something you mentioned, interesting um, kind of how, from the Wednesday main event was these guys who are just surviving. It's interesting because in both fights, you saw a guy that didn't want to kill them. Overeem didn't want to hurt Walt. Overeem, you know, he, he he had feelings about this too. Like, you saw how the in the aftermath immediately a fight, Overeem got down to his knees to give this man props to try to raise him up, to understand what a tough position he was in. You know, uh, Glover, he didn't want to brutalize this Anthony Smith guy. You know, it's 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 a weird kind of twistedly beautiful moment in the sport where these guys have to be violent, but it doesn't mean they're heartless. It doesn't mean they're savages. Like this is what the job is, and neither guy like wanted to put their opponent. Like you know, we've seen killer instincts, right? We've seen guys fight with no remorse. We've seen way unnecessary after the bell shots just because they wanted to get one more in. Um, but we didn't see it on either of these nights, and um, you know, so there's definitely a speak to sportsmanship there. Uh, Walt, he's got a world of talent. Clearly, I think we all agree he lost due to the game plan. Um, he just didn't fight the smartest fight. He should have let Overeem stand back up. You know, he the, there was clearly a grappling deficiency. Um, he, you just you don't fight guys on the ground when you are that much worse than them at it. You know, even from a dominant position, uh, we see a lot of guys who respect judokas. Maybe Overeem's ground game isn't as respected. Uh, or you just see blood, right? You know, um, Walt Harris is a guy who likes getting the knockout, so why wouldn't he chase it? But, you know, there's modifications are obvious here, so hopefully he uh, can come back stronger. Um, 
you know, he, he's a guy we're all going to be rooting for, right? We all want to see him do well. We want to see him make his family proud. So, um, yeah, kind of a somber end to things, but, you know, still a good, it was a great fight. You know, in a vacuum, if you just look at the action of it, um, kind of seeing a guy like Overeem reach in deep and make a big comeback, you always got to appreciate that heart. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's really, I thought it was interesting. There's so many similarities between these two main events, too, because bo- both guys that we kind of thought as the younger kind of coming off really weird, tragic crimes against them, right? I mean, obviously, Walt Harris dealing with the murder of his daughter is just like on a different realm. But Anthony Smith had a home invasion, right? And he's naked fighting this dude for like 20 minutes till the cops co- come. It's just like weird. Some of the outside factors bleeding into some of these fights. Um, Yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, kind of like what we talked about before, I don't want uh, Walt's daughter's death to be like his defining thing. I, I think there is more to this fighter than the tragedy that has bespoke him. Um, I hope he gets the opportunities to kind of show that because um, he is a really fun fighter to watch. I think they had a really great performance. Yeah, um, a, a tidbit I probably should have known about him, but I didn't realize is he was a collegiate basketball player. Yeah, with I didn't know NBA that either. dreams. And we hear a lot of guys come from football, you know, with these other backgrounds and they try to make it, you know, the uh, much maligned Greg Hardy being one of the prominent ones. But I haven't heard of a lot of basketball players giving this a go, kind of just adjusting their athletic frame when the NBA dream didn't work out. So um, that was a cool detail that I thought I picked up during this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hopefully we see Walt back. I absolutely think we will. I think he'll probably, hopefully I, hopefully what I'm hoping is he feels some relief having just gotten through this fight. You know, obviously this tragedy is going to stick with him for the rest of his life probably, but it's just so raw right now. I I have to just imagine just being in that arena and just seeing and hearing the video packages play over and over again just must have been really emotionally raw for him so i really hope that we get to see walt back in there pretty soon and kind of put the stuff behind him um and reem i heard him talking today uh he's got four more fights on his contract he's kind of thinking like that's good grief yeah <laughs> that's not a little bit that's well, not a little so he's saying that he has four fights on his contract he he he's obligated kind of to either fulfill them or just not fulfill his contract but he's saying I'm gonna do those four more fights, and then we're gonna see because if he, he if he does, he, wants, he said he still wants to fight for the championship. He, he well, so there's a couple things. He mentioned that he does. He obviously still wants the belt. Now, if he's gonna be able to get to the belt in four fights, I think is in the heavyweight division is absolutely feasible, right? You don't need to string that many wins together uh, to get in that title uh, picture. And Overeem's already in the top ten. He has a nice win here. Um, but he's saying that after these next four fights, he would have 96 fights and he's tempted to go for the 100. So he's thinking, he basically said like, look it, we're going to do these next four fights. Let's see how these go. Cause you get a couple of ream knockouts and then the conversation changes drastically to not only like, you're not doing your next two fights to be like, you have to retire right now. Cause this is getting really disturbing. Um, but we'll see what's next for Reem. I mean, um, let's, let's face it, though. It's not like this fight was a clean one for him. All no, right? no. He this is... got knocked out, and he had a huge cut on his head. Yeah, I, I think mean, at the end of the day, it's like, I don't think he should look back at this fight and just be like, oh, that was a good win for me. That was that was a, a win that Walt kind of gave him. And, and look, at Overham had to be the veteran. He had to play his cards right to put himself in a position to snatch the victory away, um, and he did so. But this was Walt overexerting himself and not being able to, to, to fight at the same high level that he was previously. Man, if 
when Overeem loses, it's only by KO or TKO. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, he doesn't get decision; he gets demolished. <laughs> That's like the the Oven Strike fight. He's like, is he gonna lose by decision? He's like, no, 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 no. Hold my beer. I have ten seconds left for my face yeah, to explode. Like, looking back on his UFC career, it's like, yo, if if, if Overeem loses, is because someone fucking turned off the lights on him. Pretty much. Uh, Steph, anything you want to say before we, we move on here? I was just going to say, the two things about it. Um, if the man has his heart set on 100, whoever's left standing in, in Japan MMA, is it one, whoever it is, they'll feed him some cans to get say, him to 100. He can go back to Bellator for sure to get one, some, some I can mean, 100, 100 could be versus Bob Sapp for the rice price. Mm. He can he can pad that easy victory if he wants. I mean, it's um, tempting two, to not get 100. <laughs> a fight I kind of like would be interested in seeing him in just because uh, the other guy having possibly a career worse performance. I wouldn't mind us doing the Verdum trilogy. Oh boy! I one, they might already have fought through times. <laughs> okay, the quadrilogy. <laughs> and two, besides the first fight, they've all been really bad. So I don't know if I'm clamoring for that one. Did he get demolished in the last one? I thought uh, Verdum decided. I oh, I can kickbox you. God. Did he? Did he beat him? Uh, he won the last. That was a uh, that was like champion run Verdum though. So he may have been on the on the juice. When uh, Mega Reem was forced oh, to maybe get they got to throw it back and we just actually uh, Overeem is two and one against Verdum. He's won the last two. On the I li- I like I, I like okay. Let's do the quadrilogy. I like this matchup. I like just this matchup of personalities. That's all. all right. Guys well, who have fought recently. All right. He didn't test positive for COVID like I thought he would. Let's give him the Reem. <laughs> uh, well, moving on because we have to. We could talk about Reem. Yeah. You know, I could talk about Reem all day. Um, but we had an actually compelling co-main event. Uh, we saw Claudia Gildel. Gedalia uh, fight Angela Hill. We talked about this fight last week. Um, a, a tough draw for Angela Hill, who has you know a lot of momentum going into this fight. Ultimately, just really quickly, Claudia dominated the first round. She got a takedown, controlled the round. Angela Hill got the second round by most accounts. Uh, she scored a big knockdown. And then the third round was mostly stand-up. And honestly, I think I was like, stop paying attention as closely because I just... Oh. Mostly at the end of the fight, I was just like, I think Angela Hill won because the third round was all stand-up and she beat her standing in the second round. I don't remember the third round clearly enough to be really upset with the decision, but I do know going into that decision, I was kind of pulling for Angela Hill. It could just be my bias because I really like her and she really needs this win. Um, But ultimately, the judges did see it for uh, Claudia. Um, Steph, what were your takeaways on this one? I, uh, you know, not to be too hard on them. I just, you know, I like both of the fighters, but this fight kind of clearly showed both of their limits. You know, um, Angela, she put a nice winning streak, but against mostly unknown competition, right? We kind of find there's this hill that she can't seem to get over. She can get controlled. Um, she doesn't quite have the finishing ability when she really needs it against some of these fighters. So it comes down to a decision. A lot of times she's on the wrong side of them. And what can you say about Claudia? She gasses. She doesn't have a full three rounds in her. She's always likely to fade in a fight. So if she can't really assert her will, like overwhelmingly, it gets kind of iffy towards the later rounds. So it's tough. You know, uh, you, you like both of them, but both of them kind of have clearly defined ceilings. Yeah. I, and Mike, I, 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 I got to come to you to finish it out because this is your girl, Claudia. She got the win. It was tough, but she got the W. This is my girl, Claudia, but I thought Claudia lost this fight. I thought Angela got the, the second and third round. Um, I know you say stuff that this shows that like Angela, you know, the, the competition that she fought before just shows like her what her level actually is. If anything, I think this fight show this fight shows what her level is. And I think it's at the echelon of uh, Claudia Gadelia. Um, you know, uh, 
she she knocked Gadelia down, made her face plant in the second round. And I thought that she outworked Claudia in that in that third round, outstruck her, even though I, I think it was just a slight significant strike um uh, it was close. Angela had mm-hmm. at the end of the day, but at, at the end of the day, she outstruck Angela uh, Claudia Gadelia in in the third round. Um, I don't think it was an egregious robbery that Claudia won because Claudia was applying a lot of pressure in the third round, and she did have some good shots. But I don't think, and I don't think this is what you were saying, Steph. But um, no one can write off Angela Hill as like a scrub. Or someone who doesn't belong, you know, getting these types of fights in the future. Yeah, she just might be ten to fifteen. You know, that's just might be her range. You know, um, like I, I know uh, a fight I'd like for Angela, but uh, she has a fight book is against one of my personal favorites, Alexa Grasso. Um, it's someone who would stand with her, and it would be kind of a boxer versus a kickboxer. No one's really gonna grapple, grind, wear you out in that fight. Um, so uh, it's still a point where styles make matchups. She can always get better, but yeah, it's just another time she's had a chance to break into the ten and comes on on the wrong end of it. Well, I- this is this is one of those fights where it's like you look at the people's faces after the fight and you're like, wait a second, how did that other person win? Because Claudia's face looked like hamburger meat. Yeah, I, I Claudia's think- a hugger, Mike. You know, she's a hugger. She's gonna think- win. The- I think at the end of the day, what I kind of hope for Angela is um, she needs to be ranked because uh, she, she she literally came in as unranked in this one versus the number eight girl and got her to a really close. I think it was split. I don't know if it was majority split. or not. It was split. Yeah. So, I mean, put a fucking number next to Angela Hill because it's kind of criminal. She didn't already have one. And I think even in a losing effort, I think she kind of deserves to at least be 15. I mean, g- give her something. Um, I agree. I think she looked good. Um, hopefully, we can still see some of these improvements with Angela, but... You know, at this point, she's 20 fights into her career. It, it, it's it's tough to to expect more leaps and bounds, but I, I think we got a good showing out of her. And I think Claudia, you know, she scraped and clawed, but she, she got a good win here. Um, next fight was another weird decision, tough decision. Um, Dan Ige? Did we land on Ige? Ige is how I heard them calling it on okay. the night. Um, he pulled out the decision against Edson Barboza. I personally think I had Edson winning this fight. I think it was really close. Again, Another fight where I was like watching it, but like I was not like fully engaged. Like at the end of the fight, I was like, I think Edson won. He didn't win. I was like, well, I could have missed some shit in there that maybe was really more crucial than I thought. But I don't know. How did you? How did you see it, Mike? This one, Dan and uh, Barboza. Uh, I had Edson winning the fight as well. Um, I think one of the main takeaways I have from this fight is Dan Ige. Yeah, he's won his. I think at least his last two. But he hasn't looked overly impressive in either of those victories. So I think we need to pump the brakes on whatever hype train there might be on Dan Ige. Yeah. And Steph, any thoughts? I mean, how do you think about Edson at 145 his first time? Um, yeah, it's weird because it's like uh, Mike with the last fight. Um, this is a fight where I picked Dan Ige. I went against the grain. Um, but I thought he lost. Um, Edson, he didn't look as terrible as I thought. He just has such a lean frame that it's like he kind of looks the same to me to be honest like he doesn't look bigger or smaller he just looks right. so incredibly lean that i don't know where that 10 pounds came from one, um so- one weird thing sorry to cut you off yeah. like you say that like he looks exactly the same one thing that was said in the broadcast was that edson had said that he had to work a lot to keep his uh, frame for 155 pounds 
Yeah, he might just be really light. Maybe that was always kind of his walking around weight, and he never really was much of a weight cutter, all a, a Frankie Edgar or someone like that. Um, but he always seemed kind of tall. But again, like I said, that super lean frame, uh, it can be deceptively like light um, in some people's uh, cases. Um, he looked good at first. The speed was there, which is kind of one of Edson's things. And I thought Dan was getting lit up in the first round. It, it just kind of showed me that Dan was tough. Um, and then kind of to what Mike was saying is, uh, my kind of deflation and why I didn't think he won was, his, he's kind of he's kind of rudimentary like I don't mean to be insulting about it but like his striking's not particularly dynamic um it's he kind of comes with the one two the hooks three four is very simple combos um he can take a shot really well uh and just by being able to stick around as uh, Edson started to slow down and tire out he got some shots in himself but um yeah it's just it's one of those things you're you're not sure where to place him as a prospect because he's getting the wins, but he's not overwhelmingly assertive in anything. So um, it's kind of seems like he'll eventually hit a wall. Yeah. And honestly, real tough loss for Edson. I mean, I think this is like his fifth loss in a row or something. I think it doesn't really spell to how good he is as a fighter, but this is where we find ourselves. Uh, you know, I think in a couple years time, we're going to look at this spat and be like, Oh man, like he really stunk it up. But you look at the competition and, and it makes a lot more sense. Um, we had another, uh, at this time, the decision, I didn't really have much fault with, uh, Jotko beat, uh, Eric Anders. Um, we've all kind of had our eye on Eric Anders, kind of like the, uh, Alexander, um, the great that we we're talking about in the other card, Eric kind of exploded on the scene early on. And he's kind of been on all of our radars for a while. And, hasn't really panned out um he has dropped a lot of decisions and here's another one he dropped to uh Jotsko. i don't really think much to break down here guys uh it, it was a pretty i think snoozer of a fight not super entertaining he got the win here against anders anders definitely has some stamina problems uh and just couldn't really last um did you guys get to see song gadong and marlon vieira at all i did um and then i also read the aftermath of this which was rather unfortunate but, oh, you might uh, have to inform me on the aftermath. Now, yeah, so I, I don't know I, about, I just, before we get to the aftermath, I just want to say another really close fight. I personally had uh, Marlon Vera winning this one and not Song Yudong, uh, but he got the nod. So Marlon Vera had him winning this fight as well because he was salty afterwards. I think we're all in this weird agreement of where we all believe in the close decisions that the wrong person won because um, I also did not think Yudong won either. Um, the interesting thing about him, though, is that he's 22 years old and he's had 20 professional fights. Um, yeah, very active that's part of alpha way, male. Yeah, whether that's way too much mileage or this guy is a hell of a prospect, it remains to be seen. I mean, when you look at him, he totally looks like your prototypical alpha male guy, right? He's he's boxy square shoulders. You know, he's got a good sprawl and solid, like, kind of straight punches. Um, but like kind of Ige, there wasn't a lot of technique necessarily. Um, it wasn't necessarily dynamic. He was definitely tough. I thought uh, Vera was just beating him to the punch most of the night. Um, I think the volume was just better. Uh, Yadong seemed to take harder strikes, but he's a guy who took center. He kind of pressed forward, so um, it seems like that was very valuable in the eyes of a lot of judges. Um, it was close. Again, it's not a robbery either way. It's just in a in a couple nights where we had a lot of split decisions, I would have thought this would have been another, but it was unanimous for Yadong. Um, unfortunately, the unfortunate aftermath is that uh, Vera, in an angry tweet, said he did not lose to the Chinaman. Um, <laughs> and that okay. is just an unfortunate uh, <laughs> and... phrasing, is uh, really what it is. Um, if you're not aware, it's considered... Sure. Is Song Yadong even Chinese? 
He is. <laughs> that doesn't make it any better, but... <laughs> well, okay, so, Mike, it's funny that you said it, because uh, that was the uh, top comment was, well, isn't he Chinese? And then uh, someone well, else saying, you know, you don't... Yeah. You, you're like, well, isn't he black or isn't he Mexican isn't a good follow-up to any other racist words. Uh, so um, that's kind of a weak thing. Um, it could have been a poor translation. Vera did immediately walk it back and apologize. He didn't mean it as such. Again, it's just an unfortunate uh, translation. You think it could be lost in translation, but this guy is also fluent in English. So uh, <laughs> he didn't need a translator. He spoke fine. It was just an unfortunate terms. The guy was mad uh, that he thought he won a close decision. Um, Yudong, he's 22 years old, man. I'm not going to make any grand sweeping claims about this guy. Um, he's in a good camp. There's a lot... There's a lot of fights ahead of him, so um, we'll see. I would just like if if you're gonna, you know, throw racial epithets at people, make sure it's the right ones, you know. Like, uh, well, he got the country right, right? That's what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> okay, right, yeah, at least, yeah, if, at least right. he did it the right way, right? If you're gonna be racist, make you're sure be you're at least being right. authentic with your racism. Yes, we don't need fabricated racism here. Um, just we're gonna just highlights for the rest of the prelim cards. Uh, Steph, you said you really enjoyed the Miguel Matt Brown fight. That seemed to be a bit of a crowd pleaser, right? Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of guys to look out for, um, Baeza, he's one I'm sold on. Um, his striking is crisp. Uh, he's he's really tough and durable. You know, Matt Brown might be an old man, but he's still got old man strength in his hands, and he landed some good ones. But uh, Baeza, he's. He's undefeated right now. I think this is nine and zero. He he was talking about when he, uh, they said he was going to fight Matt Brown. He's like, "Who's the other guy named Matt Brown in this division?" Oh, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "There's no way you're giving me the Matt Brown." Like, what the hell? Um, but the guy who made the most of his stage, um, it was a very impressive knockout. Um, he this is a guy to watch. So absolutely. Um, um did either of you get to see uh, Nate Landwehr and uh, Derek mm-hmm. Elkins at all? Uh, that was my personal fight of the night. Uh, you, you guys might have noticed there was droplets of blood everywhere. That was this fight. Uh, Derek Elkins got split the fuck open. Uh, and this guy, Nate, was he was really hamming it up. You know, he was having a good time in there. He was definitely shooting for fight of the night bonus. Um, and I think it's really sad he didn't get it. I mean, Song Ladong and Marlon Vera was a good scrap. But these dudes, I mean, Darren Elkins literally bled p- pints out there. You should definitely throw the dude a couple bucks. I'm um, in a big win for Nate. Uh, otherwise, uh, Courtney Casey had a really good armbar from uh, the guard. And overall, a pretty decent card. Um, hopefully, we all got our full our fill this last week because we got a couple weeks where we're going back out to pasture. We're not going to have another fight card until June 6th. And believe me, there's some work that needs to be done because this card stanky, <laughs> uh, top to bottom, ain't no green about? spots in here. Um, Amanda Nunez and Felicia Spencer is the uh, main event. That's somewhat intriguing on a really base level. Uh, mostly what I like about this is Amanda Nunez is going after fucking blood. And she's like, not only am I double champion, I'm defending both belts. And that's some gangster ass shit right there. I think DC was kind of like, oh, yeah, welcome to the club or something. But like DC kind of like moved down to light heavyweight. And he was like defending that shit. Like he was he was one champion and then another. And they kind of bled a little bit. But, like, Amanda Nunes is both, and she's defending on both fronts. This is some really gangster-ass shit. I really like it. Um, Felicia Spencer has gotten some good wins. Uh, Deserving of a title fight? Probably not. Deserving of this title fight? Yeah. This division's weak as shit. She's got enough wins. At 145, right? 
yeah, this fight's at 145. Felicia is is a 145er. Like, I don't know if she can make 135. She, you, you know what? You know what's never a good sign. Um, especially I've, I've noticed, and this is a lot of the same dialogue that they use with people that are challenging Amanda that they use with Cyborg. This is when I know. Oh, this is about to be a, a, a squash match. When the first thing that comes out of what normally is Joe Rogan, yes, the analysis stylistically. <laughs> When he, when the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, she is a true one forty five. It's like, oh wait, all she has is that she's big. Oh, I thought I thought you were gonna go with if you were gonna make a fighter to beat Amanda Nunes, Felicia Spencer's exactly what they, they they like that line too. No, they did the honest one. She is in the weight class. They're <laughs> she's, fighting it. She's she's a she's a real one forty five. So um, that fight doesn't have a lot of juice on it. It mostly the juice is just like Amanda Nunes is fucking gangster defending the one forty five belt against anybody. Um, <laughs> the rest of this card on paper, the the co main event that I see here on Google is Charles Bird. In Maki Pitola. Who the fuck are those two guys? I don't even know who either of them are. 10 and 6 and 11 and 5. Those aren't even records that make me excited. Um, yeah, so I'm really hoping uh, it has Alec Perez and uh, Husiega Formiga. That's kind of like the biggest names I see here. I'm hoping there's a lot of work being done on this card right now. Like they're well, fucking stacking it. Well, Mark, it doesn't matter what type of work is going to be done on that card because like 355 last call you're gonna take whatever's out there <laughs> honestly you Mike, you're gonna be buying this car my my line is low this is like this is the line like <laughs> i don't know if i'm paying for this shit i love amanda nunez i think she's gangster as all fuck but she can be as gangster as all fuck the next day and i'm gonna have 20 bucks because i don't know if i need to see this shit live honestly it, it needs work this this is a a pay-per-view card that is not selling it so you know we're gonna have a couple weeks here hopefully we get some developments we will obviously be keeping you guys posted with that stuff but now that we've come to the conclusion of these two cards we've talked about our mma stuff we're over the hour mark we didn't beat my 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 goal of under an hour so we might as well just jump into things we like um you know what i'm gonna go ahead and go first because i can kind of drag on um and i'm kind of glad bobby's not here because we're gonna talk about some weeboo shit boys <laughs> mostly i've been uh i've been playing sakura wars uh mike and stuff have you ever heard of sakura wars before you sent me this a while ago and i wanted it but i've heard of it is, but, it's out now um, what, yes what is so Sakura Wars came, the the reboot, they're basically kind of reimagining the series, uh, came out a couple weeks ago. Um, this has been a, a series I've actually had my eye on for a long time. Uh, this is something that I'd always see at the end of EGM in the import section. And basically the premise of Sakura Wars is it's an alternate history where, <laughs> surprise, surprise, uh, it's alternate history World War II. <laughs> Japan's not bad. They have steampunk technology. They make with, little chibi cute robots that fight demons. Anime with anime characters. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so basically, and, you know, a big selling part, you know, back when I was a kid was that it's mostly kind of a visual novel. Um, not it, it used to be a strategy RPG with these little mech characters. They fight little demons. Um, but it mostly was like a dating sim. Um, and back in those days, I was really interested in this genre of games where it's like, oh, you have to like date a person and give them gifts and try to win them over. I was very enthralled as a teenager. Like, what kind of game? Like, I, I kind of wanted to experience this type of game. Um, and especially, you know, steampunk, little robots. It, there's, there's a lot of boxes that it's checking off. Um, unfortunately, the, the games never really came to the States. They never got localized um, until now. This is probably the biggest... Uh, 
biggest Sekiro Wars game that is making it uh, across the pond. Uh, and I will say that, you know, the mark that's today is very different than the mark many years ago that was super enthralled with that type of game. Um, but what I will say is that I, I kind of got this game because I was just like, I've wanted to play this series for so long. And it's finally here. I'm going to take the dive. And what I will say is while a lot of the anime trope stuff, like it just doesn't connect with me like it did when I was when I was younger. I have a harder time getting into animes and dealing with some of the tropes. Um, what I what I've really liked about this game is it's just charming as all fuck. And, and as two guys that watch anime, you know that is kind of a line that they can walk, and when they do it well, it can really invest you into the characters, into the story. I'm just enthralled by just the 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 brightness of it all and just i mean because really it's just the basic premise is you're some dude who was a navy captain he got let go and now he is the captain of this mech unit um that is also and get this it's, it's a theater and you're also throwing plays and you're also whining and dining these girls to kind of you know get dates out of and, and what have you and mostly it's like you're building your trust so you work better in combat and stuff like that. And they changed the combat from a strategy RPG to a action RPG. Um, and I probably played about six hours. And all I can say is I, I'm really enthralled. Um, it is charming as all fuck. It has a great soundtrack um, and a great theme song. And I've been enjoying my time with it. So outside of Sekiro Wars, um, I talked last week, there was this indie game called Hunt Down, which is kind of like a 16-bit side-scrolling shooter. That one's been a lot of fun. And then coming out this week on PlayStation VR is a game I've had my eye on for a while called Gorn. And this is basically kind of a really simplistic VR game where basically you're just in this little arena and you're just killing dudes. But it's just one of those things where just in VR, it's fun to grab an axe or a sword and just start swiping and cutting arms off and shit like that. Um, yeah, so those are kind of the games I've been looking out for. Um, still watching Community um but other than that not a lot else to report so uh mike what do you got for us this week i mean first off that is a huge switch from a strategy rpg to an action game that is part part of the thing is they were like you know what we want to go for a western audience these americanos they don't like the grid and the turn base and the moving they like the moving around and hacking and slashing and honestly uh, personally i wouldn't have mind a strategy rpg but i'm kind of i, I, I no, like no, action games more so i'm kind of cool with it Mark, you're feel, right you, you're right with insulted the... as an american oh yeah you were right about the weeboo audience you, you say you, your present thing i still like the harem anime comedy it still gets amusement for me i'm good, good with the tropes i also like a game called fire emblem and all that game has ever been is about like oh i'm gonna get the best kid units by pairing up these so um yeah I, I, like you sent me the trailer a while ago i just kind of forgot about yeah, it it fell off it's, my radar it's cool. but, i've really um, been enjoying it I'm enjoying my time with it i do think i might pick that up uh i need something to hold me over till last of us so oh, um, there you go yeah yeah but um i guess on my end it's a continuation of the thing i said i liked last week which was the um the oversimplified series which is uh uh history um, um a history channel on uh, on youtube so I've been going down the YouTube rabbit hole for basically the last 10 days or so where I just find anything on YouTube on uh, World War II, World War I, um, the aftermath of World War II, like the Nuremberg trials and the Tokyo trials. And uh, yesterday I started watching a documentary on YouTube on Winston Churchill, which led me to say, I want to watch the Gary Oldman movie, The Darkest Hour. So I found The Darkest Hour. I watched it yesterday. 
It was excellent. Um, Gary Oldman sounds nothing like Winston Churchill. He just sounds like Gary Oldman doing a Winston Churchill impersonation, but it was still very good. So I recommend going and watching The Darkest Hour. Uh, can I segue off of uh, that movie? Because um, uh anecdote that I heard that I really enjoy involving it was, um, I don't remember the name of it, that movie where um, Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney. Uh, Veep? That's uh, the Dick? TV show. It was something Dick? like that. You know, <laughs> one of Dick, the movies. Yeah. It was by the people who made um, the big short uh, mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah, it was really good. Uh, but I just remember it was... Uh, so in that role, uh, Christian Bale famously gained a shit ton of weight. And it was really hazardous to his heart. Like, mm-hmm. it, it put him in actual detriment. They're like, okay, Christian, you can't keep doing this anymore. Like, this is uh, now going to kill you. Um, so I remember he said, talking about how he called up his good friend Gary Oldman and said, Gary, how did you put on all that weight in a healthy manner for... Uh, Movie uh, the, advice. The, and, and he was like, he was like, my God, Christian, it was a fat suit. It was prosthetics. He's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't just put on a bunch of weight. Like, it's just, it's makeup. Like, stop doing that. And so it's like, yeah, Christian, there's technology now, uh... You know, Chris Evans didn't get real skinny to be early Steve Rogers. Like, you don't need to do this to yourself. We trust that you're a good actor. You'll be all right. Save yourself, Christian Bale. Um, but kind of, I guess, from a warmongering uh, vice president, uh, I guess that segues into my thing I like this week. Um, I got my firearm safety certificate. Uh, nice. You know, uh, our, our man Bob's not here, but if you listen to us long enough, you know we kind of are bleeding heart liberals when it comes to our politics, but uh, surprise, surprise, I also like guns and uh, believe in gun safety, um, that there's a right way to do things, and um, I've always been interested in owning mine. We, Us fellas, we've been to many a gun ranges in our time. Uh, when we used to go to UFC fights, we used to book in a day at the range as well while we were out in Vegas. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, there's a range really close to me. Again, I said I've always been interested in being an owner, so I actually took the steps towards doing that um i just need to find uh the right thing that kind of catches my eye and fits my purposes but um yeah i've now done the proper testing and certification needed to be a responsible gun owner well congrats you're doing it right i suppose instead of just going to the gun show and just being like yo what's that big gun there oh here's some cash thanks (laughs) here's some cash see you later bullets see you later well I think, if there's nothing else, that kind of wraps it up for this edition of It's an Amazing Podcast. Of course, we have to thank all of you listeners. We know trying times, months with no MMA to to hear about, but we are finally back in the groove. And yet there's still going to be some gaps. So who knows if we, we pull out another tourney to, to, to fill in those holes. Um, but at the very least, if nothing else, next week should sound a lot better than this week, I have to assume. Otherwise, I have been DJ Mark. We're also joined by Kid Presentable and, of course, Lavender Gooms. And we will see you all next week. See ya. Peace. Cheers.